listening is so important because it helps you make a better informed pitch when you do approach them. And maybe you don't approach them, you know, day one, maybe you follow what they're sharing, then you like and share what they're sharing and you comment on what they're sharing. And pretty soon, you know, they're going to start to recognize you. And then when you actually do need or want to pitch them, it may stand out a little bit more in their crowded inbox of pitches. You're listening to Real Marketing Real Fast, the only podcast that brings you unfiltered, undaunted, insider information on the latest tools and technologies for online marketers. Prepare to dive deep into marketing myths, breakthrough models, and cutting-edge strategies that will have an immediate impact on the growth of your business. And now, here's your host, marketing expert, Doug Morneau. Well, welcome back. Let's to another episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Today, we're going to talk about all things PR, public relations, getting earned media, crisis management, what to do when something goes wrong, how to get out and get ahead of that. And to help us understand that today, my guest in studio is Michelle Garrett of Garrett Public Relations. She is a PR consultant and a writer. You'll find that uh, Michelle uh, works at the intersection of PR, content marketing and social media. As a public relations consultant, content creator, blogger, speaker, and freelance writer, Michelle's articles and advice have appeared in a wide variety of publications, including Entrepreneur, Forbes, Muckrack, Reagan's PR Daily, Meltwater, CIO, Freelancers Union, Thomas Net, and Fairy God Boss, among others. Michelle was named one of the top 13 content marketers or influencers to follow and the top 50 content marketer world influence. And her blog was named one of the top 25 must-read public relation blogs by Muckrack. I connected with Michelle on social media. I've been following her for quite a while, been very impressed with her content and reached out to uh, invite her on the show. So I'd like you to join me in welcoming Michelle Garrett to the Real Marketing Real Fast podcast today. Well, hey, welcome to the Real Marketing Real Fast podcast today, Michelle. Super excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Doug. I'm excited to be here. Well, this uh, listeners, this is just another example. Uh, if you read my email that I sent out to you on Tuesday, I talked about being social and social media and the importance of being on a platform and actually talking to people opposed to just blasting your message. I connected with Michelle. I started following her on Twitter. And from there, I went to her website and I just really loved the content she was sharing. So I sent her a note on Twitter, a DM saying, hey, uh, would you be interested in be, being on the Real Marketing Podcast? And she said, yep. So here we are. So it, it just proves that social media is not dead that social media still works if you work it so i'm happy to have this conversation but today we're going to talk about you and your superpower and helping your clients so do you want to give us a bit of background michelle and kind of what you do and how you help people Sure. Well, I have been at this a while. So um, I, you know, I believe strongly in the power of public relations. And then I guess more recently, I think, you know, social media and content marketing and, you know, all of that has come into the picture. And really, a lot of those things are what PR pros have been doing for years now. So I really work with clients on various projects, but they always involve a component of getting the word out there, increasing visibility. And then we talk about what are the best ways to do that because there are so many ways to do it these days. So it can be very overwhelming if you don't really have somebody to kind of guide you through that. 
So when, you know, happy to dive into PR as we carry on the conversation, but it's just interesting because of the work that you do on creating content and social media. So, you know, when you pitch a reporter and a reporter comes to your client's website, um, what are they going to look for? I mean, because I'm, I'm assuming they're going to look at all their social media channels and look at their website. So why don't you share from, you know, to our audience kind of how that works? When we pitch a reporter, what happens? Yeah, what happens? I mean, because you're helping your your clients create content and, and social as well, which which I haven't seen uh, people in the PR space doing before. So you must feel there's obviously value there for the client to help them move the you know move the dial and get the attention and the and the coverage that uh, that they want to get. Well, I think whenever you pitch a reporter, it's always good to take a look at you know your public face before you even put the pitch out there. And many times with the clients, we will even have to kind of hold off on pitching proactively until they get their website updated. They post something on social media, so they haven't posted in a while. You know, they have to have something there because the first thing the reporter is going to do is start digging around and looking to see what's out there, what they can learn beyond just getting an email from you and just taking for granted everything that's in it. That's the nature of reporting. They're going to start investigating and looking at Around. And if you're not ready for that, then you should be probably not proactively contacting reporters until you kind of get your ducks in a row. Yeah, I guess in that case, you're, you're spreading the bad news. That's exactly right. And it happens way too often. Even here, you know, locally, I see, you know, a company in the newspaper or something, and I'll immediately go look at them on social media. And sometimes they either don't have an account or they haven't posted in three years. And you're just like, ooh, you know, that's a really, that's a poor showing, you know, that, that wasn't probably, they probably didn't think through it. Yeah, no, I've, I've seen the same thing. It's always interesting, like, like I shared with you off air, even a lot of the guests that I've had on the show when I go, I follow you know all my guests on social, so I want to have a deeper connection with them. And it's always surprising how there's a platform that they at some point were engaged in and they've just stopped posting. So there hasn't been anything on that platform for years. And then they, you know, there's a discussion about whether it's better to keep that even open or if you should just shut it down because maybe having, not having one at all is better than having one that hasn't been used in a very long time. Yep. And the other thing I've seen people do though, is they, you know, you'll go to, for example, it might be their Twitter account and I might say, you know, I'm not posting here anymore. This is my favorite platform. So at least there's a message and a redirect. Um, so you've, you know, kind of protected your brand, your name, but you've pushed somebody to, or redirected them to, you know, where you're active. I think that's very wise. I really like that suggestion. So the idea of PR always sounds good. So, you know, the choices in running the business in terms of making sure that you've got a professional image and and you're treating your clients well, so they speak well of you and you get um, re- referrals and you get testimonials. When you're thinking of PR, I guess a lot of companies or a lot of individuals I've talked to say, well, I, I can't do that. Um, nobody will write about me. My story's not that interesting. Um, how do you work with your clients to help them overcome some of those thoughts that they have to be a they have to be a big brand. They need to be Elon Musk to get any ink. <laughs> That's funny. Well, you know, you, there's both ends of the spectrum. So just just to give you a little quick little story, I um, I'm from Ohio. That's where I'm at now. But I use I lived in the Bay Area for about seven years, and no one out there, no client, no company I ever went and talked to was ever saying, "Oh, please just get us in the local newspaper if you can." You know, like they were never thinking that way. They were always like, "Get us in the Wall Street Journal, get us in TechCrunch," <laughs> um, and it's so interesting. Sure. Because you move back, yeah, you move back to the Midwest, and then it's like people are very like 
I don't know if they're just shy, they don't want to toot their own horn. You kind of have to help them think bigger, even if it's vertical publications, maybe not the Wall Street Journal right out of the gate, which, you know, that's pretty, pretty high, pretty, you know, pretty up there. I mean, you can't do that. If I hire you today, I can't be in the journal for the (laughs) next week. Some people think that. I know. But but seriously, the Midwestern clients and I do I work with clients all over the country and really all over the world. But the clients in the Midwest, for some reason, tend to be like a little bit more like just I don't know, they they don't think as big. And so, yes, it is. There is some like convincing or education there. If they say, well, we do want to be in the local media, then I usually say, well, what else? You know, what else would be helpful to you? Would it be helpful to be in an industry journal or a vertical publication? They're always looking for, you know, stories and contributed articles and products and, you know, all kinds of things to fill those digital pages, as well as some of them still have you know, print publications. And sometimes you can get in both, you know, with one pitch. So it's, there is some education, some kind of um, coaxing encouragement that goes on. Well, what I thought was interesting, you mentioned the local paper and, you know, I've, I've heard that side as well. Well, you know, I want to be an X, X paper. And so would you say that if you're looking at a strategy and you have not got any PR, any coverage to date, or maybe it's just a little bit that it's just, that's how you would ramp up your, your PR, you would kind of start local and then you might go to national and then go to some of the bigger brands as you start to build up X kind of a portfolio, if you will, of people that have written about you. I think that's, that's potentially a good way to start. I mean, for some, you can start with the verticals because I think that is just such an opportunity because there are a lot of them and they have very small staffs. They're laying off people. They need to fill those pages. And so that's, I, I focus on that a lot because with here, at least with local media, it's limited. So it's not only limited for the client, it's limited for me as far as what I can help them with. So I always try to kind of get them to, yes, we'll do that. And yes, it's a good place to start. But let's think a little bit beyond that and think about, you know, once you get a contributed article placed, how many ways you can plug that into your marketing, put it on your website, share it on social, you know, maybe the sales team can share it with prospects, things like that. So I think once they start thinking like that about it, they're more likely to start embracing that a little bit more. So what do you mean by vertical? So vertical industry. So I work with a lot of tech clients, for example, and that, you know, obviously tech touches every company now, right? But so say we work with a software company and they play into the manufacturing vertical. They play into maybe a printing and publishing vertical. They play into the automotive vertical. They, you know, there, there'll be a handful of verticals that they want to focus on to get more customers, get more prospects, get the word out. And so within those industries, those vertical industries, then and they have publications and blogs and, you know, sometimes even radio, TV shows, podcasts, you know, that you can pitch and get them some more visibility for what they're doing. And that's really where their audience is if they're, they want buyers in those industries. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. And I would think the trade publications probably don't get as much, uh, I'm just guessing, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. as many pitches as the journal will get. Oh, yeah, no, I, I'm sure that they do get their fair share, but I think it's much easier. And you can even, you know, I know reporters don't really like you to call them on the phone anymore, but you can even usually pick up a phone and, and maybe even talk to somebody at a, at a vertical trade publication as opposed to the Wall Street Journal. You know, they're actually going to maybe take your call and you can kind of introduce yourself. And, you know, even if you're doing your own PR, say a small company who doesn't have a PR resource to help them, they could probably start to establish a relationship. Maybe they're at a trade show 
for that person, you know, that editor of that particular publication is also so they could set up a 20 minute meeting, come by the booth, we'll tell you what we're doing, what we have coming up, how does it fit into what you have coming up, that kind of thing. So how much do you think, you know, in today's world, everything being at your fingertips and, you, you know, you shared with me that, you know, you check Twitter first thing in the morning. Yes. How much do you think is listening versus pitching these days? Ooh, well, and, I, you know, back to the, uh, you know, the conversation that you and I had prior to this about some PR pros not being on Twitter or not being active on Twitter. I mean, to me, that's where the reporters are hanging out, right? So if you're interested in connecting with a particular reporter or publication, you should definitely be following them. You should be listening to them on social media. You should be reading what they're putting out there. It's listening is so important because it helps you make a better informed pitch when you do approach them. And maybe you don't approach them, you know, day one, maybe you follow what they're sharing, then you like and share what they're sharing and you comment on what they're sharing. And pretty soon, you know, they're going to start to recognize you. And then when you actually do need or want to pitch them, it may stand out a little bit more in their crowded inbox of pitches. No, no, that sounds like I have to build a relationship. I just can't go pitch people cold. You, it's funny. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, um, yeah, that's you're right. You, you caught the humor of that. It's like, you know, uh, hey, you don't know me, but I want you to, I want you to uh, write a four page, you know, article on me. Yeah. And they actually think that it works that way and that they're special enough, you know, perhaps to, for lack of a better word, for for that to work. And it just usually doesn't. I mean, you know, if you're Amazon or, you know, you could get, get somebody to write about you. But most of us, most of the smaller companies that are struggling for attention, you really can't have an ego about this stuff. I mean, you, you know, you're really at the reporters doing you a favor in essence. I mean, it's earned media, but I mean, if this is something I had a conversation with a colleague about the other day, it's like, well, sometimes you contact a company or you, you know, reporters trying to get a, a source to respond and they lose the opportunity because the source doesn't respond and the reporter moves on to the next person. I'm like, they're giving you free publicity. Do you not understand the importance of this? Take five minutes you know, and respond to this email or respond to this direct message or whatever it is. I mean, don't just slough it off and say, oh, I'll get around to it next week. That's, it's not how it works. No, it's just time sensitive. I think the best, the best PR I ever got was I, um, I contacted a reporter that was writing um, a whole series on uh, new businesses. And I said, you know, I've done a lot of work in this sector over the years. So I have a filing cabinet full of kind of proprietary information we've gathered. So if you ever need access to that, you're welcome to come to my office and dig in. Now, it's a home-based office, but I didn't tell him that. And he said, well, why don't I just interview you? Yeah. So it was that, I mean, that was, you know, that wasn't much of a pitch, but I had followed him for a while. So I knew which topics he was writing about and I, I could see how I could fit into what he was doing. And I thought, well, I'll offer the stuff I've got first. And, and that was a very, that was just a very easy conversation to have. Well, that's the thing. When it fits, when it's right, it works. You know, it's, it's easy. It's not forced. It doesn't feel, you know, it's almost like you're selling something, right? I mean, I've heard people liken what PR people do to sales. And in a way it is because you're selling your client, your brand, your product, whatever it is, you know, you're selling that you're trying to get them to bite, but it doesn't have to feel so smarmy. So sale, it can be, 
you know, if you come from a place of really trying to genuinely help them do their job, which is, you know, in, in a perfect world, that's how it should work, then that is a good relationship, a positive for journalists. And you don't have to PR people shouldn't feel, you know, afraid or, or you know, worried about approaching reporters if that's the spirit in which they're doing it. Well, and it's also professional and respectful. I mean, we, I also I shared with you earlier that I had a really bad pitch from someone that didn't match. So the other side of listening is making sure that what, you know, what you're doing or what you want to pitch is in alignment with the publication or the media outlet you're trying to contact. So you're not wasting their time. You're not looking, you're not looking foolish by sending them something that's totally outside their wheelhouse. That's right. And that does look foolish. And it, it, it really turns journalists off to all PR pitches then because they get so many yeah. bad ones that are totally off topic. And that's one of the most common things you'll see them complain about if you are on Twitter. <laughs> well, I, I love the Twitter feed because there's tons, there's so much content that comes through. Um, and, you know, and I tell people, you know, most of what I pit, I, I actually reshare on Twitter. If it's not my own content or my podcast guest, it is really stuff that I'm reading. So if you want to know what I'm reading my day, all you have to do is look through my Twitter feed and that's the stuff that I read. That's exactly right. That's absolutely right. And it's always good to read it before you share it because... <laughs> yes. I see a lot of articles that are either just not really they're, they're The headline says one thing, but the article is not reflective of what the headline says, or they're full of typos, which I really won't share if it's poorly written, you know, if there's a little, you know, something, but you know, like Forbes, for example, I use that as an example all the time because they now have this, you know, stable of writers, but they don't have any editors. And so a lot of the things that end up on there, unfortunately are, full of errors and just, you know, I don't know who's minding the store there. So. Well, and I've got caught as well by sharing something and not doing the research to make sure that it's a valid source. So it's so easy to hit the share a like button and they go, oh, that wasn't good. Yeah. Or you look at it and it's from 2010 or, you know, you're like, ooh, <laughs> yeah. okay, whoops. Yeah. Especially in this political time, which I'm sure we're not going to talk about. No. In terms of <laughs> these new followers on Twitter, hi, I'm so-and-so and, and I look at their profile and I look at their posts and I'm thinking, oh, okay, so I can see which side of the ledger you're on right or left and I really don't need to have this conversation. So I'll just go next. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, unfortunately, and we will not go into the weeds, but a lot of, you know, a lot of what's going on affects journalists and journalism and fake news and it does all affect PR pros. So, you know, we do have to follow it and be tuned in from that perspective. So I am very um, reluctant to say a lot about it. But on the other hand, I really feel like I maybe want need to say something about some of the things just because, you know, a lot of my I have journalists that are I've known for years, they're, you know, they're friends like I, you know, and I, I went to journalism school. So it's just to me, I feel it in my heart, you know, that it's, it's just something I, it's hard for me to stay quiet sometimes. Yep. No, I've, I've just decided that that's really not a place to be. If I can't affect change, there's no sense just adding to the noise. And, and so I use a tool called Feedly to RSS feed to gather all the content that I read and the, that I want to share on Twitter. And so kind of my, one of my rules of thumb is if it's not building somebody up, I'm just not going to share it. I'm just not interested in, in posting stuff that's, that's tearing people down or, or just taking a, a constantly a negative view. The world's full of that. And um, I just don't want to be a, a contributor and amplify that. 
Yes. Well, and I, you know, for me, that's, that's one thing I hear a criticism of Twitter is that it's, you know, it's a really negative place. Not for me. <laughs> it's my feed. My Twitter folks yeah, my followers yeah. are very, yeah. it's a very positive place to yeah. be. And I, yeah. I get so much good out of, I learned so many things and yes, yes, I understand what you're saying. So um, in terms of PR, where it is today and where it was, what changes have you seen in the last three, four, five years? Well, I think there's a lot of discussion about, you know, first of all, I think it's more important than ever because in this day and age of um, scandals and missteps that can go viral in a matter of minutes. And I just saw an article that consumers expect brands to respond to a crisis within 30 minutes at some, some do. And, and then there was, uh, there was a bigger percentage of expected brands to respond within an hour. You know, you need, uh, somebody who knows how to formulate a message very quickly and something that's not going to get you in legal trouble or something that's going to kind of not sound like you're not apologetic or not taking responsibility. There's a, there's a fine line there. So you really need a, a good PR person on your team and B probably a good legal person that is, you know, at the ready, you need a crisis plan and you need a very, like a small core team of people who are going to be on it immediately so that it doesn't blow up and you just are not engaged and you lose control of it. So, yeah, so you can get out in front of it. That's, that's interesting because, um, you know, I was at an event talking about uh, media crisis and they had a number of really, very large brands. And I was really surprised at how just upfront people were, like the the media relations people for each of these brands, saying how they deal with a crisis or something that happens and ends up in social. And a few of them, you know, it just were very frank and said, hey, we go look at people's influence to see how, how much that's going to affect us. And then we kind of we kind of triage them on how to deal with them. So, you know, if somebody's got, you know, a lot of influence online, we need to deal with that before we deal with some person who complains about everything and really has no influence. Oh, well, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was our, one of our big ski mountains up there it was Whistler Blackcomb and, and there'd been an accident up there. And, and so they were saying, you know, in that case, you deal with it. But one of the other brands, it was a consumer brand saying that lots of times they'll get negative pushback and feedback online. And it's really just about assessing the, you know, the, the threat. In terms of dealing with that, I mean, one of the things he brought up, I think it's kind of interesting is because clients will talk about, well, what do I do if I have bad PR or I have a bad thing happen mm-hmm. and what, what should I do or somebody? give me a bad rating on one of these sites, whatever the site might be. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's like mm, that's where you really need to dig the well before you need the water. By having some good mm-hmm. um, good third-party credibility, that'll help help your SEO, that will help your business. If something should go wrong or somebody should complain loudly and have a large audience or there should be a crisis, at least there's some backstory. Mm-hmm. That's such an important point because I, again, my PR, co- my PR colleagues and I have this conversation sometimes about how um, clients or brands will wait until they're in trouble to start, you know, kind of, you know, try to build a reputation. That's the wrong time to do it, right? So that's another reason why PR is more important than ever because you need that reputation if and when you do find yourself in a time of crisis. Yeah, I mean, I've had I had a, a friend of mine I've done business with who does who's I'm not on social media. I refuse to be in social media, and one of the c- companies he was working with got some really bad PR by a government agency. Mm. So you got you got deep you got deep SEO links, and he goes, "Well, how can I get rid of that?" I said, "It's not going to happen. It's it's too late. The time to do that would have been a few years ago to build up a backstory and have some links, and and now you're exposed 
in terms of, you know, online, it's not going to go away. That's, that's sad, isn't it? I mean, it's like, and people need to get it. I mean, they need to, the other thing that's funny to me is that I have been in meetings with CEOs before and you talk about, you know, you say, you know, you're talking about PR in general getting the word out, building, you know, the reputation and you'll say, do you have a crisis communications plan in place? And they will look at you like you have a third eye or something like they just have no, like what, like, why would we need that? And I just, it just amazes me. I mean, anything can go wrong and depending on what kind of industry you're in. But I mean, it's just, to me, it's very naive not to be expecting almost a crisis to occur at some point, be it big or small. I mean, there could be anything that could come up. And if you're not ready, you haven't even thought about it, don't have something in place, you're going to be scrambling and it may be very detrimental. Well, and sometimes it, this may be a competitor in the in the email space. For example, if you have poor deliverability because you've got bad email addresses, that affects your your service provider. And there's a really large brand, predominantly in New York, that's a retailer, and um, one of the competitors was filling their email list by subscribing with bots with bad addresses, mm. and their email service provider shut them down in November. Well, right before Christmas. So, you know, there was an example of someone who didn't, didn't have a crisis plan, didn't have the tools in place. And then you're, you know, you're scrambling at your busiest time of year to try to kind of recover Mm -hmm. and figure out how you're going to deal with that. Yeah. That's, that's really scary to me. So I, I would be scared if I was a business owner and didn't have something in place. So, you know, I I don't know how to get that word out there, but Well, that's what we're doing today. I mean, one in, in, in Vancouver, one of the organizations that does a really good job of that is the Vancouver Port Authority. Oh, great. And we haven't had a major crisis in the port, but it's interesting because they're always advertising. And one of our sales guys was, was in talking to them and said, well, like, why are you guys doing this? They're saying, this is how we, we stay in the public face in case yeah. there's an accident in the port. So that's, they're super proactive. Um, and there's, so you see them supporting local stuff and you see them updates and local messages and you're thinking, you know, it's not as a consumer, I'm not going to buy anything from the port corporation. That's just not going to happen. I'm not a shipping company, but they're always there in, you know, in advance to, to be showing off their good brand and, and what they're doing in case there's a crisis. Yeah. And that's so smart. That's very wise. And they, there are a lot of things you can do that, you know, would help you to help you do that. So it's just, it's a really good idea to have a plan to build and maintain your reputation. And then also to have the crisis plan in place in case you need it. And one thing that I have become more aware of lately is just the fact that, you know, a lot of times PR and legal are at odds because as soon as a company publicly says something, it can be used against them in a you know, legal sense, right? So I think yeah. that a lot of times legal and PR have had kind of a combative relationship, but I've actually written about this now because I interviewed a lawyer who works, you know, with PR teams and, and you know, there are ways that you can work together because legal is always like, well, we got to slow down. We can't say that, you know, and PR is like, well, we've got to get it out there, you know, because we're going to get left behind in the dust if we don't say so. But there are like ways you can work together and come up with something. And that's, better to do ahead of time versus, you know, or have that, at least have that, that chain of people that are immediately going to connect if something happens. So 
So when you're working with a client, is uh, developing a crisis plan part of the uh, the work that you would do in addition to, you know, the crisis plan is uh, just in case, that's insurance. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, the traditional PR is, you know, get me more exposure. Right. So is that part of your, your regular um, flow of work? I do. We do talk about it. I think a lot of times they're just not focused on it. So it's it's a challenge to get them to embrace that part of it, you know, so that doesn't, it doesn't always happen. And I mean, it's, but I do, I do bring it up. I do advise them to think about it at least and let me help them. But you know, it doesn't always work that way. So do you want to walk us through the process of what it's like to work with someone like yourself? So for our listeners that are saying, okay, you know, my company's growing to the point where I need to, I need to, or I would like to expand and grow, or I've published a book and I'd like to get some PR and I'd like to get the word out. What does that look like? Well, you know, normally they'll be, you know, we'll get together and talk about what their goals are. That's very important. Who their competitors are, you know, where their audience is, all those things are very important. And then usually I will come back and and maybe make some recommendations and perhaps put together, you know, a proposal or plan to get them, you know, to, so that we can talk about it and say, yes, this seems like, you know, on the right track. And then we just, we pick out um, strategies and tactics and things that will get them where they want to go. And a lot a lot of the clients that I work with are smaller. And so they've probably talked to a PR agency and, you know, nothing against PR agencies. Some of them are very good. They want to charge them, you know, 10,000 a month, you know, even 5,000 a month sometimes is a lot for a small business. So I think a lot of times we prioritize. So, you know, you might want to do all of these things, but right now we're going to do two or three of these, you know, elements of the plan. And then we'll see how that goes. And if we get that kind of rolling, then we can add some things to it so that they're not overwhelmed, that it's not, it's still cost effective and they get comfortable with the process and they kind of see some results, some ROI, and then they feel like, okay, now, you know, we can add and and go on and do more. And so in terms of timing, I'm not trying to pin you down to, you know, you know, rolling out your, your plan, but in terms of timing, I mean, lots of times I'll have clients come to me and they'll want to run a marketing, a marketing campaign. And lots of times they have a, like a super short term vision. So what they need is they need a, a huge amount of sales in the next week. And I try to explain to them that's that's not going to happen. That's not mm-hmm. realistic. And, they'll, and so they'll go away and they'll try to find somebody else who will say yes to that, uh, which which is fine. And I'm sad to, to hear that normally they lose their money and it doesn't work. And so then we have another discussion when they come back. Right. So in terms of being realistic for the business, what should people expect in terms of timing? How long should they should they plan to work with someone like yourself to to get results and build their company? Well, I mean, I really feel like, and and again, you know, I know agencies will require clients to lock into you know, a year or whatever, and I don't do that, but I do think that you need to hang in there for at least three to six months with something if you're going to try it. I don't think you know a month is enough to to see results. A lot of times you know, the work that a PR person would do would be held up by on the client side because they don't get back to you uh, (laughs) with approvals or... They don't update their website. They don't update their social like you've told them. Yeah. Yeah. So then, so that slows it down. So then you can't hold that against, you know, the person trying to do the work if you're dragging your feet a little bit. Because I I see that as a huge issue right now for me is just the engagement level. So they'll say, yeah, we really want to work with you. We'll have three or four, you know, conversations and we'll go back and forth and we'll, you know, we'll agree and sign the paperwork. And then it's like, okay, well, you know, now we need to get started. So, you know, and a lot of them will say, well, how much time do you need from us to really, you know, do the job or do the work? And I'm like, well, you know, I, 
I certainly am self-directed and I, you know, I don't need a lot of your time, but I will need you to engage with me if I need to interview somebody or, you know, if I have some questions or, you know, so, and even getting them to respond is just incredibly difficult sometimes. So I'm like, well, if you're not going to make this a priority, you probably shouldn't even be talking about it, you know, so that that's a little frustrating sometimes. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, and you know, it's not, um, you know, what you've shared really is a common response from most of the professionals that um, I've had on my show, whether it's SEO or whether it's content writing or blogging. And it's the similar conversation that you need to you need to, to just invest some time in this. And, you know, the, I know some of the guests have had say, you know, we won't we won't work with someone who doesn't have like a six month vision. We're not going to lock them into a contract for six months. But we tell them up front that if you're really looking to build your business, these are the things you're going to need to do to get the traction. Um, and it's not going to happen overnight. We're not going to phone Michelle today and say, hey, can you get me on the Oprah show next week? You know, I'm going to be I'm going to be in Chicago and just wonder if you can get me interviewed. That'd be great. Or good morning, America. I'm going to be down there. So isn't that funny? Because there are you know people that think that's how it works. And I'm like, eh, well, and the other thing is, I don't think that media relations is the only piece that matters. I think that's what a lot of PR pros are trying to, you know, get out of that pigeonhole of, oh, we only do media relations, because honestly, media relations is tougher than ever. And now that you have self publishing, and you can publish content on your site, you can publish content on Medium or LinkedIn, or, you know, you, you can do your own podcast, you can, you know, there's all these ways to get the word out that you don't even need the reporters. You don't need the media for that necessarily, you know? So I just feel like, you know, A, they need to think beyond the media relations and B, if they are going to be interested in media relations, it is a little bit, it takes some time, you know? And so you can't just say, well, they didn't get us any results in this first month. So, you know, they're no good. So that that's, you know, and then they never try PR again, or, you know, they try contacting a reporter one time on their own and they get no response. So it's all PR doesn't work. Well, you know, that's a very simplistic view. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, I heard Gary Vaynerchuk on a rant about that once. He said, yeah, some guy told me Facebook doesn't work. He says, no, Facebook works. It just didn't work for you. <laughs> Or didn't work for you at that time. Um, it, it works. So in terms of the the change, the shift in media, yeah. it's interesting because you know, like you mentioned, Forbes having writers but not yeah. editors, and I've, I'm starting to see pushback in the industry. And in, in Canada, I saw something that was kind of interesting, in that the media have gotten together and put together a website and a campaign, and they're lobbying the government because oh, what's the best way to say this? <laughs> They feel that it's unfair that they're losing their jobs because people are self-publishing and the government should protect their Ooh. industry as, as writers. And so I'm not going to get real political on it other than I think that's kind of ridiculous, mm -hmm. but industries change every day. So, but with that being a reality of less staff, um, how has that affected what you do for your clients? Well, I, it's, it's interesting because, because they have less staff, they get more pitches. So you're less likely to get attention. You know, it, it didn't used to be, now you could send out a pitch, say 20 reporters, and you might hear back from one or two, maybe, or you might not hear anything back. I mean, it happens. And that's, that's, yep. uh, that's not only, that would not only be due to the concept or the actual way the pitch is written, it would be due to the fact that they probably never even saw it because their inbox is so full. So they're understaffed, they're overworked, they're inundated with pitches. So that then I say turning to the vertical industries is so much more effective. There's still, you still have the same scenario. Yes, they're understaffed. Yes, they're overworked. Yes, their mailbox might be full, but it's not the same as 
you know, our classic example of the Wall Street Journal or New York Times or USA Today or, you know, pick one. So, yeah. Yeah. So are they looking for, do you think they're looking for a better, a, a better pitch these days and someone that helps to kind of take the load off so they don't have to do all the heavy lifting? I think it's great if you can include numbers, data, research. They love that. They seem to really respond well to that. And it should be not just, I gave this example the other day. I was talking to somebody about research, original research, which is great for PR, by the way. But I worked with once a client who had interviewed five like CEOs and then published the research, like 75% of, you know, we, those we surveyed, well, they didn't explain their methodology. So that, you know, you can't do that and get by with it with a reputable <laughs> reporter. They're, they're going to look under the hood. They're going to say, oops, you know, who, who did you survey? Did you survey 5,000 people? Did you survey five people? You know? So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, yeah, it was, funny. well, it was really like kind of scary. Like, <laughs> like, no, we can't. I asked my mom. Yeah. 100% of those we yeah, surveyed. 100%. So you do, so reporters yeah. know that though. I mean they're they're reporters are very usually very smart and a lot of them do a lot of homework, you know. So I would say you have to be prepared again before you even pitch. You need to have certain things, you know, ready to back up even if they say that yes to your pitch or they say yes, we'd like more information, you should have that ready to go. Have your customer references ready, you know, have uh, if they want to uh, sample of a product or they want some imagery or they want, you know, whatever it is, you need to have that already done so that they're not waiting three weeks for you to get back to them. And that's another thing because sometimes clients will come to me and they're very, it's a new company, startup, small business. They uh, say, well, do you have some customers, you know, that would talk to the media on your behalf or that we could talk to, to, you know, get some quotes and they, they won't have anybody who will do that. And I'll be like, well, you know, we're kind of taking a risk here because if you don't give them somebody to talk to, they will go and find people on their own to talk to. Sure. Absolutely. Yep. So, yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's funny. I mean, I've, I've always enjoyed that. I mean, people say, oh, you can't talk to the media. They, they have this, sometimes they have the view that the media are, are the bad guys. Oh. It's like, you know, no, it, you know, like, you know, they're looking to uh, verify the facts and um, just, you know, I've always found that the, the reporters I've worked with have been very good. They've been gracious. They've asked questions. We provided information. The more information we can supply them in terms of, like you said, and research and data has always been helpful. And I've seen it shape the story where, you know, they've taken the pitch and just about verbatim cut and pasted yes. it into, you know, local newspaper, for yes, example. Yes, they do do that. That's so funny to me, too. I'm like, OK. But then when you write the press, see, I hear this, too. The press releases don't matter. Or they're dead or what. That's so not true because there's so many reasons reasons why you want to write a press release and why it should be well written. And that is one reason right there, because they can just lift it and put it right on the site. And I mean, that's as long as you get a story out of it. I mean, and you, you control the message because you wrote it. I mean, that there's no, I don't have an issue with that. I mean, I would have more respect if they actually did a little bit of, you know, they interviewed someone or they, you know, they change it up a little bit. But I mean, at the end of the day, you should be writing the press release almost with that in mind. Yeah. And the, I guess the other thing that we need to remember is that, you know, when the local paper picks it up, the regional papers look because they're looking for content. Mm -hmm. So if the local papers mm -hmm. printed it, it's already validated that the, the, that the, you know, the article is, you know, been vetted. Mm -hmm. 
And I've seen them pick it up as well and go like, oh, wow. They go, I didn't know they called you. Well, they didn't call me. They just copied it from from a different publication. Yes, sometimes they won't even let you know. That's another (laughs) thing because it's like I I do a search whether or not a reporter has responded to a pitch I sent out. I go ahead and search before I respond to the client and say, well, nobody covered it because they could have covered it, you know, or I set up alerts or whatever just so I can keep track because it's like a lot of times now they're too busy. They don't even call you. So if it's well written, they might just, I mean, you make it their job easy. That's good. You know, so, but yeah. Well, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, you know, why wouldn't you want to make the, 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 you know, the uh, research for the reporter easy by pointing them to, you know, like you said, industry stats and, and stuff so they can validate your story so they don't have to go, oh, well, that's an interesting pitch, but man, how many hours am I going to have to spend mm-hmm. to find out if all that's true before I write about it? Yeah. It's really nice, you know, if you can back it up by maybe even putting some bullets in the pitch of like, you know, here, here's a, here's a reference you can call, you know, a third party, a customer, a partner, somebody, you know, attached are some images or, you know, here's where to look for more information or just, you know, kind of lay it out for them. So it's not so much work. If you have B-roll, you know, that's great if you're doing pitching broadcasts. So, you know, just try to think about what they might want or need and then just make it easy for them to get that. That, that increases your odds, I think. Darn, make it easy, build relationships, connect with them on social, all these all these things that don't require lots of technology. This require taking a little bit of time and investing in people. I think that's true. And just thinking through, like what's common, you know, common sense. It's just, you know, a lot of it really is. It's not magic or, you know, it doesn't, I mean, you know, obviously we do have some skills, hopefully, you know, but but you know, there a lot of it is just it makes sense when you think about it. So what are you most excited about in the next six to twelve months? Well, for the industry, I think it's really what I'm seeing, and I hope that this is going to continue this trend, is I see steps toward integration. So I think that's critically important for marketers not to silo everything off into a separate you know, corner, but to kind of make it all work together. And I mean, PR is one piece. Social media should be very connected to PR. Content should be connected. And then, of course, PR should be connected to your sales team and to the C-suite. And I mean, it needs to be, it just needs to be a a little bit better integrated, I think. So that I see signs of that happening. And I think that's exciting. Oh, that's cool. I mean, I've seen it on my side, not the PR side, but from the advertising side where we would run a PR camp or not a PR, but like a marketing campaign for a client and say, did you send out a circular to your staff? Well, what do you mean? Well, (laughs) we're going to be running ads in these places. Your sales guys should probably know before the client says, oh, I saw your ad, you know, fill in the blank. And they, and they didn't know. So I'm assuming that same issue happens with PR. They get PR and they don't tell their, their team and their company that, Hey, look at this great coverage we got over here. Right. And then again, yes, share it. Once you do have some results or some things out there, you need to share it so that everybody knows and make everybody kind of have a a vested role or, or, you know, so they feel like um, it matters to them too. You know, like if you include everybody from the beginning, hopefully they're going to be watching because I get very excited, you know, when I, something I've worked on actually, you know, yields results, but that doesn't mean that, you know, that everybody either knows about it or everybody feels like they're, you know, invested in it and they're just, you know, they're, I don't know. It's, it's a challenge, but you got to (laughs) try. So what's the bad advice you hear when you're out at a cocktail party or you're out at a business event around PR? 
I just think people don't get it. They just don't understand what PR is. There's for some reason, it just doesn't click in what exactly it is. I think all the time people confuse it with advertising. They um, think PR equals marketing, which marketing has how many hundreds of different, you know, tactics under it, you know, so, and then I think they just kind of want to lump it in together. I don't think people understand really what it is. So it is a lot of education and it's really hard to stand at a cocktail party and kind of in 30 seconds, you know, explain exactly what we do. But I always just say, you know, we're increasing your visibility. We're helping you get the word out. It's not paid, you know, so it's more credible because it's earned media. Now, not to say you don't need both and, you know, not you need all of it. Right. But it's it's a little bit different than, you know, you buy an ad. It shows up here on Tuesday. It's a quarter of a page. It costs this much. No, you know, it's a little bit more risky to do the earned media, the PR side. But when you get an article for a client in a publication, at least, you know, it, it, unless it's a paid piece, you know, a branded piece of content or something like that, it's a reporter saying this story looks like it would be of interest to my readers. So hopefully, you know, it's a little bit more, you know, you know it's, it should be more credible, really. Well, and my personal experience has been that, you know, there was a, a publication that I was advertising in uh, for some, you know, uh, some services that we were offering. And it was interesting because um, when the reporter, you know, had interviewed me after I said, hey, I've got this filing cabinet full of information. What I noticed immediately was my phone started ringing. And when I asked people, so how did you hear about us? All the calls were coming from the PR piece and none of the calls were coming from the ad. Oh, wasn't it? And we've been, we had been advertising that publication for six months. So I won't say, I won't say none, but, but PR crushed it compared to paid ads. Oh, I love to hear that. <laughs> well, I just, it, it makes sense. It's, it's a third party saying, Hey, look what this guy does opposed to me writing an ad. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I write really horrible editorial content. I just keep slipping into advertising content. So when I need to write something editorial, I need to hire somebody who can write it editorial style and not editorial style like I would write. Yes. And I have that with clients too. And they want to slip (laughs) into that sales mode. And I'm like, no, you can't really on social media and press releases and things. You, you don't really want to do that. They're not going to run that for you. Yep. They're not going to run. Hey, this offer is closing in 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 twenty four hours. Yeah, Bye now. yeah, no, and that you have to get them out of thinking like that, or you have to at least you know convince them that there's room for both because you do you really. I mean, in a perfect world, you would do both. Think you should make sense. Worked worked for me. I've seen it work for clients. Um, get the right people in the room, and it's amazing what can happen. That's true, completely. So I want to say thanks for taking time and sharing with us today. I really enjoyed this conversation. We could have, I could have this conversation for a lot longer, but um, no, we both have stuff we need to get done today, like look after our clients. Yes. So where's the best place for people to reach you, to reach out and connect and learn more about what you do and maybe have a conversation? Well, my website is probably the best place and it's really just michellegarrett.com. And then, um, of course, I'm very active on Twitter as we've touched on a couple of times. So I'm always over there. I'm at PR is us, not, not Prius, but PR is us. <laughs> okay. And um, one last question. I know we did talk about this earlier. Who's one guest you think I should invite on my show? Could be oh, a client gosh. of yours, could be your, your connection who's a lawyer who can explain how PR works. Oh, yeah, he would be great. Yeah, I mean, there's so many people that I respect and admire. I mean, 
you know, right now, actually there, I, ha- I have a chat, a Twitter chat called freelance chat. That's on Thursdays at noon. If you're yeah, I, I saw that. Yeah. yeah and I'm there gonna... is a person we had on a guest named Chris Brown, and he is an attorney and he specializes in working with, you know, solopreneurs, freelancers and the like. And he actually has this great product. And I, this is a little plug for him and his product, but it's for making contracts, you know, setting up consulting agreements. And it's, it's like almost like you choose from a menu of things and then it, it builds out this consulting agreement. And he, I think that just popped into my head because we we're talking about legal things, but that's just something a lot of freelancers struggle with. And this is, it's called contract canvas and it's, it's really it's very interesting to me. And he is, he does have the, the, you know, the legal ease, the law, the legal knowledge to um, not steer folks wrong. Cause I think a lot of times we just don't even know what to include in there and what to leave out. And so. That's, that's super. I mean, um, that's a great resource. You know, uh, obviously we use legal guys and, and, and we take what they say under advisement. I don't think they're always um, right. They tend to be sometimes super overprotective, but as a business owner, you need to make the final decision, mm-hmm. but it's great to have a resource like that to draw on. So yeah. I appreciate the referral and I'll have to check out your chitter, your Twitter chat. I saw that yeah. when I was looking at your feed yeah. and I and I didn't realize it was today. So Yeah. Well, every Thursday, we any Thursday every we're Thursday. there. So <laughs> Well, super good. Well, hey, thanks so much for for taking time again and and sharing with us. Just appreciate you and what you're doing. I love uh, love following your feed and Twitter online. Thank you so much, Doug. This has been fun. Thank you so much. So there you go, listeners. This is another episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. And today we talked about real PR. So why you should consider it to build your business, to get your name out, to get your brand out, and why this forms part of your crisis management plan that uh, you need to have a backstory and there's ways to do that uh, on your own or do that with a professional like Michelle. So appreciate you tuning in and we look forward to serving you on our next episode. That's all for this episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Now it's time to take your marketing to the next level by visiting DougMorneau.com and downloading our advanced marketing white papers as well as exclusive resources based on today's episode. That's DougMorneau.com. Until next time, we look forward to serving you right here on Real Marketing Real Fast.